This is the story about... I want to do it too. Okay, one, two. This is Precious Lives. Stories about kids. Teens. Guns. Guns. Yeah, we end the violence. Bye-bye. Because, because we are precious. Because we are precious. This is Precious Lives. I'm James Causey. On June 11, 1994, Garland Hampton woke up around 10.30 a.m. He poured himself a bowl of Cheerios and milk, sprinkled sugar on top. Garland went about his day. He took a shower, bought some potato chips. He smoked a little marijuana before heading to a friend's birthday party. That evening, Garland's life would change. He got into a fight with a fellow gang member. Garland pointed a 9mm pistol at Donnell Storks and shot him in the left side of the head. Both boys were 15 years old. Garland was arrested on homicide charges the next day. He wrote in a police report, I feel very sorry about what happened. Signed, Garland Hampton. Garland is 37 now. He's an inmate at Oak Hill Correctional Institute, just outside of Madison. He's still sorry, and he's striving for redemption. I hate I had to come to prison for the cause of it took someone else to lose their life for me to come to prison and get the help that I got. But I am very, very thankful and proud of the person that I am now. And I've come a long way. Garland was just a boy when he took Donnell's life. As a man, Garland could recognize the fear and anger that drove him to that point. He's now eager to share his story, his traumas, and his triumphs in an effort to help Milwaukee break its cycle of violence. Precious Lives producer Aisha Turner brings us his story. Carlin Hampton has been in prison for over two decades, but his childhood memories are still vivid. I can remember as a kid running around the neighborhood playing with other kids. One of my most fondest memories that I had was I never had, never ever in life experienced being in downtown Milwaukee. So I was about eight years old. And my grandfather took myself and my cousin. We used to hustle cans with him. We used to jump over in garbage cans and collect cans with him. And the money we had made, he said, I want to take y'all somewhere. And we just explored downtown Milwaukee. Went in the Grand Avenue Mall. I remember my toy that he bought me was a, uh, it was a Voltron uh, toy set. My cousin bought a Thundercat toy set. We was real happy, you know, it was like, wow, granddad did this for us. But he, you know, pointed buildings out to us and took us to the uh, Mecca Arena. This was my everything, you know, like, wow, I'm in a Mecca Arena. I'm seeing where the Bucks play. I'm standing on a court. Eventually, the day had to end. One thing I noticed instantly as we were leaving to go back home, that the three of us just shut down. Because we realized now we have to transform. We're going back into a war zone. Garland spent much of his childhood dreading the thought of going home. His legal guardian was his grandmother. I was 13 years old. My grandmother told me to walk to Cole's food store, which is about nine blocks from where we live. And she wanted me to get her a cabbage. Instead, I brought back a lettuce. 
And through her own dysfunctional dilemmas and what goes on in her head, it ticked her off. She cursed me, told me I was a worthless piece of shit, and walked off. And when she walked off, I knew where it was headed next. She came out of her room with a sawed-off shotgun and told me she would blow my head off. Now, grandmama don't play. I've seen grandmama pull her gun and use her gun many times. All I could do was stand there and tremble like a leaf. But then she would later on tell me she loved me. So to me, what that meant was, if I didn't abuse you or cause you any kind of pain, I didn't love you. Violence was part of Garland's life from the start. I never knew who my father was because my mother was raped, and I was conceived to a rape. Garland's mother didn't teach him how to cook or to iron. The lessons he got from her are more chilling. When I saw my mother shoot and kill uh, my sisters and her father, it was literally right in front of me. That was the first time I witnessed somebody die. He was nine. Him and I were sitting up. We was watching the football game. I never forget it. This was his mother's boyfriend. It was the San Francisco 49ers and Cincinnati Bengals. His mother came home drunk. And she picked a fight with him. And he ran downstairs, went into the bathroom, and she tried to push the bathroom door open. And her stomach got caught between the door and the face of the door. She was several months pregnant at the time. And she started crying, oh, mama, he jumping on me. So my grandmother heard it. My mother went and got my grandmother's gun, and she shot through the wall three times. And she shot him all three times. And she said, motherfucker, I'll kill you. And my grandmother came and grabbed the gun, and I was in shock. I couldn't believe what I just seen. And in my mind, I'm saying, those are holes in the wall. And when I went to push the bathroom door open, he was laying on the floor, bleeding, bad. And he said, take care of your sisters for me. And went out. And that never, ever left me. The look in his eyes of a person taking a last breath, it never left my memory bank. Garland always stuck out in school. His clothes were dirty. He was always getting into fights. By middle school, he found acceptance in a gang. His arms are still marked with symbols of the vice lords. This is a crescent moon and five-point star on my left forearm. My upper arm is a top hat and a cane. The cane represents strength, and the top hat represents shelter. The five-point star we believe to be a universal star of principles for a man the love, the peace, the truth, and the freedom and the justice. Garland didn't find any of those things in his gang. At 15, he shot and killed fellow gang member Donnell Storks during an argument. Garland received a life sentence. There's a macabre sense of fate when Garland talks about his family's trajectory. In 1967, down in Braddock County, Arkansas, my grandmother shot and killed her husband. In 1989, my mother shot and killed my sister's new father. My uncle, in prison now, killed someone. His brother, in prison, serving a life sentence in Arkansas, killed someone. His son, 
is also in prison in Arkansas for killing someone. And here I sit in prison, serving a life sentence because I've killed someone. The cycle has to stop. That's his goal now, to break the cycle of violence. As a human being, every one of us was born with the right to rebel. I had to find out how do I utilize this natural instinct or this right that I have to be rebellious. Well, let me rebel against those things that cause me pain, that's, that cause me a lot of suffering, a lot of depression, a lot of stress. The first couple years in prison were tough, though. I, I would sit down sometimes and just up out of the clear blue sky, just be mad. My roommate, he'd be under his headphones listening to his radio, and just him tapping his feet would just set me off. I want to just explode. I want to erupt. He was always getting into fights, just like in school. He spent years in segregation. Eventually. I just got sick and tired of the pain. He started taking classes. He stacks his accomplishments in a thick blue folder. He got his high school equivalency diploma. He took a course on operating a forklift, on becoming an electrician. He's now a GED tutor. Teacher give guys their assignments, and then I sit in, sit next to him at a seat, uh, pretty much monitor to make sure that they are doing the right. If they need any help, I'm always there. His favorite subject to help with is math. It keeps me sharp, though, so that, that's why I, I like it. Garland's proudest of his emotional growth, though. He took the anger management class three times, and over the years, he disavowed his gang affiliation. One certificate in his folder is labeled personal development. Getting to know yourself, being able to express yourself in an articulate way that builds a bridge to uh, allow others into your life to help you. And this one is wellness. How to read yourself with depression and stress, all of that. He took the lessons to heart. In 2010, he went to see his social worker. And one day I just walked into her office and said, look, I need to talk to you. And she's like, well, make it quick. You know, I'm busy. I said, okay. And I paused. It took a minute. And I said, I got this demon that I've been dealing with for many, many years. He told her that he'd been raped repeatedly as a child by a cousin. I had to accept that that happened to me. Now, all the pain and grief and suffering that that has caused me, I don't have to stay stuck in that. I don't have to be my own victim, my own victimizer. He wishes he'd released that burden, all of his burdens, earlier. And I realized that what I was doing, I was putting a blanket over my shame and humiliation. Uh, I just had a visit from my grade school teacher. And he always told me that he knew it was something that was going on at home, but he just didn't know what it was. And again, I couldn't open up to him about it because it was too shameful. I mean, how can you tell this person who you put on this, I'm a tough guy facade to, that, hey, I'm being raped. I'm being abused. I'm being beaten. You know, uh, I'm being taken advantage of. Uh, That's not easy to do. Garland now shares his story frequently, and he dreams of working with young people in Milwaukee if he's ever released from prison. He wants to reach people who might be suffering in the same way he did. And his instincts are spot on. About 80% of juveniles sentenced to life have repeatedly witnessed violence at home, and nearly half were victims of abuse. Even from prison, Garland can see that the gun violence in Milwaukee is unrelenting. I watch a, a PBS station here, and they had a program on about 
the violence down in Milwaukee. It was called Too Many Candles, I believe it was. The documentary aired over the summer. It was a city Garland hadn't seen in 22 years. Some buildings were new, but too many scenes were familiar. They showed one clipping from this program where you had kids, guys standing out on the corner, on street corners. All of them had guns with extended magazines hanging out of them. Envisioning life the way I, I see it now, that's scary. But it's going to take someone who came from that to reach those guys to let them know what they're headed for. Garland knows the systemic arguments for why gun violence is so high. Yeah, poverty is, is a part of it. Yeah, racism is a part of it. But for him, it all comes down to personal responsibility. Let's, let, let's go outside of what we can't change. Let's, let's put that up to the side. And let's look at what we can change. It has to start with homes, broken homes. One can only start with themselves. Garland is hoping all the work he's done on himself will help him succeed outside of prison. He had his first parole hearing in 2015 and has another coming up in March of 2017. Still, there's the possibility he may never get out. If I don't, hey, I can go to my grave knowing that I've turned my life around and I'm definitely not that same kid that I was then, today. Precious Lives is produced by 371 Productions in association with WUWM, WNOV, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, and the Wisconsin Center for Investigative Journalism. We're supported by the Isabel and Alfred Bader Fund and the Greater Milwaukee Foundation. Music by Kiran V. 